Well, it didn't hit me till last night that we were finally back on a rhythm that I'm more used to for all these years. Used to Saturday night, spending time in the sermon again and prayer and preparation, which hasn't happened for about three months. It's just been too weird. It's been honestly so weird. And there's nothing that replaces this. Uh, As good as and and as thankful as I am to our Lord for the technology that we have that made it possible for us to stay in connection with each other, and it's just an amazing thing, and it still is, and we thank God for it, and the range that's gone out through all the earth is fantastic. But there's nothing like being with God's people. There's nothing like it, and uh, it just was a fresh experience this morning, again, just to be with all of you. And by the way, the cameras make it look like we're closer together than we are. So I just want to tell everybody out in online land that we are very far apart, regardless of what the optical illusion looks like here. And there's lots of gaps, lots of room for you to come back when, uh, when uh, the size opens up. And we're, we're so looking forward to that. But it was just great to be back in the rhythm. In fact, I was so excited. I, I thought I slept through my alarm this morning. I, I woke up in a, in a start and... Uh, Uh, grabbed my watch and looked at it and I couldn't read it because you know how it is when you're like, I couldn't read it. So I had to go grab my phone because you can read it easier. By by that time, I'm very much awake and and it was 5.30. I was just so excited. I had my alarm set for six and I thought, and just, oh, this is just so great. We're going back to church. So um, it's just great to be with you. Uh, The only only thing is I'm like amazed that you're here, to be honest. I thank God. I'm just grateful to God that you come back every Sunday. And the reason is because I've now listened to myself preach for three months, and I got to tell you, (laughs) you people are amazing and deserve, and you will get your reward in heaven because you come back every Sunday, which is fantastic. And uh, I don't know why, but I'm just, I know you do it for the Lord, and I understand that. And so it's so good to have you back. You know, I've really, we really pushed as a staff to get ourselves open today um, at the first opportunity that the government gave us to do this. And there are reasons for that. And I I wanted to explain them to you and just just give you a quick outline of of why I really felt compelled that we needed to open because a number of churches are not open yet today. But I I really felt like we've been praying, number one, we've been praying and asking the Lord for this. And it just seemed important to, to our leadership that we should honor what the Lord has given to us. And so we, we were glad to be able to do that and to thank the Lord. So that we've, we're in the building is a thanks to the Lord. Also, we've been bugging the government like crazy to get us open. And, uh, and um, our premier, uh, and I have a big shout out to him, our premier pushed this forward and uh, I wanted to... Uh, make certain that Calvary Baptist Church was uh, honoring and respecting um, our government and the the fact that they worked hard to make this happen and to open up churches. And uh, and then, of course, the theology of just gathering. It is critical as the church. Virtual is what we could do, and virtual is, is something that God gave us to do, but it doesn't replace gathering as God's people. It never will. People, God put us in bodies and put us in the body of Christ because we are to be together. And you can't can't exercise your giftedness the same way unless you're together. And so that's important. And of course, the other thing is that the church has been kind of on a bed of exile. And what's the first thing that doctors do after you have surgery or if you're laid up in bed or anything? They get you up and walk as fast as you can. I was talking to Don Westlake uh, yesterday, who went through heart surgery, uh, not triple, not quadruple, but quintuple bypass. It's amazing what doctors can do now. And they had this man up walking the next day. And so it, it's, um, it's important that the church, we've been in a kind of a bed of exile and uh, lethargy potentially and malaise sets in and, and uh, it can get very comfortable laying in that bed. You've got to get up and walk and the church needs to walk. And so... Um, these are important things. Now, I realize, too, that some of, a, the other, some of the churches couldn't open today because they have not 
really got the manpower, the, the staff power, to do both their online service and their on-site service. And so we fully understand that. And there's no, um, you know, no criticism coming from me. I understand what they're needing to do. God has blessed us with a lot of staff and we were able to do something that lots of places can't do. And we can go online and we can go uh, in service as well. And so they'll, they'll work it out because they, don't, they can't cut out their online, online uh, church audience at this point who can't get out, so, so keep that all in mind. So anyway, um, we're just working together. We wanna continue to love one another and be united in all of this and work, understand each, each person's different situation health-wise and all of that, and we wanna make sure that, that we uh, stay together and love one another through this challenging time, so let's do that. Um, I haven't looked forward, actually, to the text that we're going to get to uh, today. <laughs> and. Um, that, that seems as a shock to you. What? The pastor isn't looking forward to the text that he's going to preach? No, no, I, I, I wasn't looking forward. I, saw, I looked ahead and I saw it was there. It's one of those, te- those texts that, that I don't like what it says. Now, uh, do you, is there anywhere in the Bible that you've ever like, I, I, don't really, I don't really like what that particular text says in the Bible? Now, be honest with me. Don't be, try, to, try to be super spiritual here. Now, don't leave me out here twisting. But uh, this is about submitting to the government. I gotta be honest with you. I've had, a, I've had a problem with that for a while, of what the government's doing, what the government's choosing to do, who's governing. So uh, I knew when I got to this text, I, I, I know what the, uh, the text is gonna teach me. And so I had to prepare myself spiritually for this. And, and so I want you also to be ready. Um, you know, I, I must say that I had a, a real switch in emotion toward our government this week. <laughs> but um, for a while, I was, I was having huge problems. And, uh, so based, and based on the study that I've done this week, I, I realized that I've got some work to do. I really do. I've got some work to do on my own attitude, on what I've been, how I've been responding to the government, how I've been responding to our leader, how I've been responding to our prime minister in my heart and in things that I've said. And I actually had to repent to the Lord uh, on the basis of what I studied here before I could actually preach it. And um, maybe, maybe some of you will be joining me. I don't know. This section that Peter gets to, after he's told us all about our salvation and how awesome it is, he gets to a section that says, now in light of this grand born-again reality being brought into the kingdom of Christ, into his amazing kingdom of light, and, and the, the spectacular status you have in Jesus makes certain that you carry yourselves well in the public square. Make certain that what Jesus has done in your heart and in your life is very evident in the um, social setting, in various Um, civil settings that you will encounter. This is how to live in the humanly, secularly governed sector of society. How are we to conduct ourselves in their world? This is is kind of our world in, in this room, but how do we conduct ourselves in their world? The world outside of this room. This is really what we would call a general call on Christians to submit to non-Christian leadership as an act of public morality for the sake of Christ. In fact, this section, we're, not, we're, not, we're gonna cover just sort of government this morning, but, but there's wives and husbands and, and other sections. This, this section, really is where the rubber hits the road of being a Christian in a non-Christian world. 
Now, let, let's understand a few, let's lay out a few ground rules here before we dig into the text. First of all, the church, Christianity, does not exist by the permission of the government, by the permission of any government, but by the commission of the king of kings. So the church serves at the pleasure and the beck and call of our master, Jesus Christ. In fact, he says, I will build my church. This is Jesus' church. He's very possessive of his church. It's his. And he leaves no confusion about that. We belong to Jesus. There's no question about that. No matter what, how we look at this text, there's no question about that. That's a ground, ground rules for sure. But, and we do not belong to Canada. We belong to Jesus. But for Jesus' sake, we are definitely called to a way of living that demonstrates us to be excellent citizens. It should be said of us that Christians are the best of citizens. As we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, those who don't know Jesus, those in authority, should say of us, but you know, they, they are the best of citizens. It's a tall order. It comes along with the, the gift of salvation. It comes along with being empowered by the Holy Spirit. God is not asking us to do something that we cannot do by his power. So he is commissioning us for his sake, for the sake of the gospel, to serve a different way. We also need to know something in terms of ground rules about the, ch the charter of rights and freedom that we function under as Canadians. We have been given certain rights by the government. And, and to, in, in order to be good citizens, we have every right to expect that the rights and freedoms that have been granted to us by our governing authority should be upheld. And, and we have every right to hold them, hold our government, to exactly what they have promised us as citizens of Canada. So um, if you have never printed out a copy, print out a copy of the Canadian Charter of Rights. It's autographed by the Honorable Pierre Elliott Trudeau. And you have his autograph on it. And it is worth having, worth understanding. It's, it's not a big document. I was kind of shocked. It's, it's kind of small. It's a small document, but it's powerfully packed. And in it, in the document, by the way, our government, our, our Canadian scene is founded upon the principles uh, that recognize the supremacy of God. That's entrenched in our charter of rights and freedoms and, and the rule of law. And in the charter... One of the fundamental freedoms, of course, is that everyone has the following freedoms. Freedom of conscience and religion. Freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression, including freedom of the press and other media of communication. And freedom of peaceful assembly, of which this is this morning. And freedom of association, of which this is by membership at Calvary Baptist Church. We have these rights granted to us and autographed by the government of Canada. So it is entirely appropriate biblically to hold our government to the rights and freedoms that have been granted to us. In fact, there's recourse in the Charter of Freedom and Rights to push back. If any of the freedoms that are granted to you are infringed upon, you have the legal recourse in invitation in the Charter of Rights to push back against the erosion of your freedoms. That needs to be a, an overriding backdrop as we understand the context into which God speaks to us today. 
So, um, having said that, you know, we like the Apostle Paul, who insisted on his rights when he was jailed in Philippi and was released and said, no, no, I'm not just going to slink out of the jail. I want the government officials to come and lead me out of jail because my rights have been infringed. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16. My rights have been infringed and I don't want the gospel to be maligned as if I was put in prison legitimately or as a criminal or as having done something evil or wicked. So I want the government to admit by the prison that they were wrong, not me. And that, the God, that I did not do anything to besmirch, <clears throat> never knew if that's really a word or not, but I'll use it, to besmirch the government, to besmirch the gospel. And so it is with us. So we, we, we live within this tension, and I want to hopefully help us with what the text says today. So we have, by the way, beloved, the right to do exactly what we're doing today. We have the right to gather peacefully and the right to associate with one another. Now, we freely of our own choice chose to acknowledge that the state, the government, the authorities felt that scientifically our, our country, our people were in grave danger by a disease. And so we opted to um, cooperate with the government and temporarily suspend our rights to gather for the sake of our love for people and our concern for people. And as our government, and we still are continuing to, to exercise an obedience to our government and its rate of return for the safety and health of people. And that's how we've been functioning as a church and as leaders. So I want to look at a text this morning. Uh, it's, it's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 to um, verse 25. I want to look at a text, and I want to look at four angles this morning of the issue of how the Christian should function with, uh, with the government. And, and the four angles are need, of a fo- need for authority, the scope of authority, the, the, uh, the purpose of authority, and the limits to authority, as we find it here in the text. So let's, let's read the text together. And by the way, I'm going to start at verse 12, uh, because 12 sets the absolute tone here. If you're going to understand what comes next, you have to build it from verse 12. So keep this in mind. I want to make special emphasis with you this morning on verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. This is not the text this morning, but I want to just give you a a context of this verse. It's better translated, and glorify God on the day of his visitation. NIV's made a decision to suggest that it's talking about the second coming of Christ. I'm not sure that's exactly what it's talking about. In fact, I think it might be suggesting that we need to abide by these teachings that we're now going to hear so that lost people might see how we live, be so attracted to the gospel that when Jesus comes visiting their heart, they might actually respond in faith and believe. That's how I see this being set up. And it makes perfect sense. When you understand that, then you can go on and read the rest. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. 
For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. By the way, men means women too, right? Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is, it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it, to your credit, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of God. I want to remind you, as I say this is the word of God after a text, I'm literally saying to you, God is speaking. Let that sink in. (laughs) You've been at church for years and years, you know, but every, every so often I just have to remind myself. When I open up this Bible, God, Almighty God, is speaking. So if we're sort of questioning by what authority is this that I'm hearing this morning, it is by the authority of Almighty God, the creator of the universe, our creator, the creator of all mankind, it's by his authority. So. Let's dig in here, four angles. I'm gonna go fairly quickly through about the first three points and then I wanna settle on the practical in in point four, okay? So get out your water-cooled pens and go. The need for authority, okay? It's a sinful, broken world. God, the, the, the purpose or the, not the purpose, but the need for authority is is uh, the idea of God. God is the one who instituted governments. God is the one who determined that there would be leadership over humankind. It's God's good idea. idea. In fact, in Romans 13, verse 1, it says this, authority that exists has been established by God. In other words, its existence is because of God. When you look at governments, it's, it's not a rogue idea of humankind. It is God's good idea. In fact, if we fully understand what we're talking about here, and especially as God's people fully committed to the scriptures, when we acknowledge government and the legitimacy of government and the legitimacy of leadership, when we acknowledge that, we are acknowledging God's total sovereignty over the universe. And we are acknowledging um, his providential control of history, therefore, through the use of governments. It is God's good idea. And it's not just because the world is sinful and broken, although it is, and therefore God has instilled governments instituted governments to provide an orderly functioning of, of law and order, but God is also a God of order and not a God of disorder. A God who abhors chaos and anarchy. A God who we learn in Jude 9 that has structured the angels in an authoritative structure, not because of their sinfulness, because they aren't sinful but because God has instituted orders, authority, government, structures. It's God's good idea. When we acknowledge it and admit to it, we are acknowledging literally the sovereignty, the total sovereignty of God over all things of the universe. 
When you look at a, govern, a, a person governing the country, you are looking at the sovereignty of God. Do not forget that. C.S. Lewis said something very interesting about democracy. He said this, democracy is the, best form, is the best form of government, not because everybody is equally intelligent or equally qualified to have an equal say, but because everybody is equally sinful and we all need to keep an eye on each other. I think that's pretty good. That's a pretty good statement about government. And then you, you encounter, of course, in James 1.25, this kind of paradoxical statement that James makes about the law of liberty. When we think of liberty and freedom, we think of no law, right? When I, I want freedom, I want liberty. And the only way I'm going to get liberty and freedom is if I have no law, if I have no boundaries, if I can get rid of everything. That's absolutely not true. God lays out for us in, in James 1.25, the perfect law gives freedom. God's boundaries, God's law, God's structure, God's order provides freedom for us. That's where you get liberty. Chaos and anarchy ruin liberty and freedom. Structure and order and law brings freedom, brings liberty. Sin and evil enslave, but authority from God frees. So that's the need for authority, very quickly. This, secondly, the scope of authority. What's the scope of authority? Look in the text. It says here, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Note the word every. What's the scope of authority? This literally is actually, um, it's been translated as every authority in our Bibles, but really what it says is every creation of man. And, and, and of course, the idea here is using, when Peter uses the word creation here, he's talking about the creation of institutions or the creation of groups, the creation of, uh, of things. But when he uses the word creation, he's, he's thinking of the creator, never ever neglecting the idea that anything that man puts together is first caused by God, who is the first cause of all effects. And God is the creator. So literally here it's stating that Every level of government that man decides is necessary for the ordering of society is approved by God. So when you say, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll honor the king, but I'm not going to honor a bylaw officer in Oshawa, God would say, wrong, wrong. Every institution, every institution, we are called to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every institution. And it's a broad, broad application here in the text. You can't get away from it. Now, they have no authority in themselves. Christ alone remains the ultimate and Lord, creator, but every government level, bylaws, Teachers, police, yes, every level instituted by man for the order of society has the approval of God. Now, we're not talking about individual abuses of these things. You understand this? This is, a general, this is a general statement of how we are to live in our society. I'm, I'm going you know, to put it out here for you and you're going to have to wrestle with God on the application. You're just going to have to look at it and say, what's God really saying? Is he saying that I, I can just cut, cut loose and cut free? I really think you can't get away, you can't come away from this text with that. You can't. If I don't like the speed limit, and I don't. You know, like our street was already slow enough, in my mind, 50 kilometers an hour. Now see, I gotta be careful how I say this, or I'm gonna have to repent again. In the good sense of our government, they thought 40 would be better. 
So do I have the right to just say, uh, when I'm reading the text like this, do I have the right to say, you know what? I don't know who, whose harebrained idea this was at City Hall, but I'm not driving 40. This text would say, then you're not submitting for the Lord's sake. I know I'm ruining a whole lot of people's driving now. You're not submitting for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. And by the way, what's the difference anyway? You drive 40 or you drive 50, you get there 30 seconds different. Lower your blood pressure. I'm preaching to myself, by the way, entirely. I'm just preaching to myself. Drives me crazy, drivers who, I mean, I'm as impatient as it gets. Then I, then I encounter this text. You, I, this is why I didn't want to preach this text. It's like, Lord, can I, skip, can I please skip this text? But you would catch me. You'd say, how come you skipped that text? Oh, because I want to sin in this area. Hey, by the way, quickly, the scope of authority. Genesis 9, 6. God established government to protect life. Romans 13, 1, following. God appoints the governments that are his servants to encourage and protect people from the wicked and to punish wicked and wrongdoers. Third, 1 Timothy 2, 4, 5. God calls for prayer for authorities that God's people might be permitted to live godly lives and promote salvation truth. These are, this is the scope of the authority that God has given to government, to protect life, to punish wrongdoing and reward good, and to make it possible for God's people to actually disseminate the gospel throughout the world. That's their role. Now, when they step outside of their role, it is God's responsibility to take care of that. And our responsibility to push back according to the rights that we've been given and authorized by our government legitimately. Not with anarchy, not with evil, but with the courts, with the legal processes that are established. Third, the purpose of submission. You're getting excited by how quickly I'm going through points this morning, aren't you? Well, day of moment of reckoning is coming. Third, the purpose for submission. What is submission, by the way, in a human context? What, what do we mean by submission? Because there's a lot of submission in the Bible. What submission simply is, is I'm acknowledging, you're acknowledging that there is flaws in leadership and you yield to it anyway. When a wife is invited to submit to her husband, God is not including in that expecting you to think he's perfect. Because he isn't. But the submission is to willingly yield to a flawed person for the sake of God. So the purpose of submission, it says for the why, for the Lord's sake. Twice here it says for the Lord's sake. Look at submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. And then verse 15, for it is God's will. So what's the purpose of submission? It is that, in verse 15, notice that we might silent, silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. This is all about people watching how we live. The purpose of submission is because all eyes are on you all the time. Your children's eyes are on you. Your neighbor's eyes are on you. Your co-worker's eyes are on you. The public's eyes are on you. The, people, the kids you teach, their eyes are on you. The kid, the people, uh, the way you lead, people's eyes are on you. It's for the sake, it's for the Lord's sake to silence um, ignorant talk. What's, what does that mean, ignorant talk? It means talk where people don't really know what they're talking about. And we're not to give them a cause to continue to be ignorant. We're to give them a cause to look at us and say how they, con- con- how they deport their lives is truly admirable, it's truly honorable, it's truly respectful, it's truly attractive, it adorns the gospel. I want that Jesus. That's what this is all about. That's the whole intention of this. For the Lord's sake. 
Submitting to authority is, is one of the do right things that God calls us to do. And it's not easy to do it. In fact, the rest of a whole bunch more of Peter is talking about, guess what? You're going to suffer a whole lot for doing this. When you choose to do right, you're going to suffer a great deal. So expect it. And then he, of course, uses the example of Jesus. Guess what? Your master went to the cross for doing right. He sacrificed his life, not because he broke any laws, but because he chose to do right and suffered for you, that your sins might be forgiven and that you might be healed by his wounds and by his stripes and by the nails that were driven through his hands and his feet. And Peter's basically saying, can't you take a hit too to honor God for God's sake? To diffuse unnecessary criticism, to silence slander. By the way, the early church were called cannibals because they took communion. And in the taking of communion, they would say that they were partaking in the body of Christ. This is the kind of ignorant, foolish talk that Peter's talking about here that was out there. And he's saying, look, at you've got to live really good lives so that these people don't think you're completely out of control and crazy because they already think some things about you and you ought to give them cause to say, I need to talk to that person as to why they're living such a good life in, 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 as, as good citizens and clear up some ignorant things that I maybe don't know about them. Now, we all know that in the scriptures, there's all kinds of texts that talk about obedience and submission. You know, obey the government authorities. In Hebrews 13, 17, obey the spiritual leaders over you. In 1 Peter 3, 5, and 6, wives, submit to your husbands. Uh, in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents. In Ephesians 6, 5, slaves, obey your masters. There's all kinds of, uh, there's all kinds of commands in the scripture to obey. But each one of these have limits to this submission. In the Lord... In other words, God never expects us to actually counter orders that have been given to us by God. In fact, uh, you know, did God's ancient people ever disobey the government? The answer is yes. I give you lots of examples. The Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1, 16 and 17 did not slaughter Jewish baby boys, even though the Egyptian government told them to. In Daniel 3, 15 to 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the idols of the government and went into the fiery furnace for it. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel himself was forbidden to pray. What did he do? He prayed. And he went into a lion's den for it. Expect to suffer, Peter's saying. Expect to suffer. There will, be come, there will come times where you have to disobey the government when it is a counter order to the very things of God. Peter knew something about this. In Acts chapter 5, verse 29, the Sanhedrin, the, literally the Jewish Supreme Court forbid Peter and the other apostles from preaching the gospel. And what was Peter's response to them in Acts chapter 5, verse 29? We must obey God rather than man. There comes a point when there is... This submission to authority has limitations to it that when it counters God's explicit commands. So his audience, Peter's audience, was now at the point of how do we handle this conflict? You know, I thought, they're saying to Peter, I thought when we came to know Christ, we were free. I thought that's what you sold us on this Christianity thing. And here we are in Turkey, ancient Turkey, and we're under the gun. We're under the, uh, an oppressive government. I thought we were going to be free. And Peter says to them, I, I, I thought you would ask me about that. So he says to them in verse uh, 16, live as free people. Wow. Okay. You just told us to submit to the government. Now you're telling us to live as free people. Uh, how are we going to manage the tension of this conflict? He explains, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. In other words, in order to live free in Christ, it would be evil if you weren't submitting to the government. And he says, here it is. For live as servants of God. God. 
Freedom comes from liberation to sin. That's the freedom that we have. We don't have, when we came to know Christ, we weren't cut free from all laws, cut free from all structure, cut free from all social order, cut free from all morality, cut free to do whatever we want in order to get liberty, to get freedom. So we do whatever we want. We, we, we raise anarchy to get freedom. No, no, we were called to be set free from sin so that we would be free to serve the Lord. Which comes, and, that, and what comes with that is certain limitations to your freedom. And here they are. Here's what it looks like to live as servants of God. Four things and then we're done. Show pro- proper respect to everyone. By the way, the NIV makes this look like show proper respect to everyone is sort of the main heading and then there's three things after that. That's not good grammar here. You would never heap God, fearing God in some sort of overall fear everybody. Oh, and by the way, God too. No, no. These are four separate ideas that are connected. By the way, you're going to see some words that are repeated. This idea of respect for everyone is also the same as respect of king. They're a complementary couplet. They fit together and there's an equality here. And I'll explain it to you in a moment. But here's how. How do I then, how do I live? Free men, how can I be a free person? A free person enslaves themselves to God entirely. And what's the prize for that? Romans 6, 22, you have to look this up yourself. The prize for that is sanctification and eternal life. The prize for willingly enslaving yourself to God is sanctification and eternal life. Anybody interested in that? Come on, you know what? I don't have play empty seats anymore. I'm not speaking to a vacuum. I come in here Thursday. Come on, can I get an amen for that? And I know you're th- thumbs and hearts and everything. But you know what? When you're here live, now I've become kind of addicted to your thumbs up and your hearts. So I- I'm expecting it. Anybody interested in sanctification and eternal life? All right. Okay, good, good, good. So that means you must enslave yourself to God. Okay? And here's what it looks like. Proper respect for everyone. Every single human being on the face of this earth, regardless of your status, what position you have as a leader or where you are structured, deserves the utmost of respect. Every single person. By the way, do you think we would be having all of this turmoil right now if people were respecting each other? People are disrespecting each other. That's why we have so much trouble. But not so of us. Not so of believers. Believers who want to be free people show respect for every single human being. Every human being is made in the image of God, image and likeness of God. Every single human being. And they must be treated with respect. In fact, to treat people with disrespect is an affront and an insult to God. God has put his image on people. When you insult them or disrespect them, you are insulting and disrespecting God. Don't forget that. Second, we're to love the brothers. Love the brotherhood of believers. Show respect to everyone but love your brothers and sisters. There's, another, there's an upgrade to how you, how you treat your brothers and sisters. Love your brothers and sisters. Listen, they were purchased. Your brothers and sisters have been purchased with an unthinkable price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. They are precious in his sight. Every one of you. Man, you've never been more precious to me than you are today. Just seeing your faces. I, I have, it, it's, seriously, I can't tell you the emotion this is for me. Every single one of you have been purchased with God's precious, Jesus' precious blood. And you are precious to me. And we, it, we need to look at each other. And instead of having sort of a prideful um, attitude that I'm spiritually better than you or all that kind of stuff, you know what we need to look at for each other? If, we, if you really want to love your brothers and sisters, you need to look at each of your brothers and sisters and hunt for grace 
sightings. Look for what God has done in their lives. Incrementally. Do you know how patient God is with us? Do you know how much he loves us? Do you know how much I frustrate God? I had to repent before I could even study this text. But God's cheering for me. He's cheering for you. He loves the incremental steps of grace in your life as he sees them. He's cheering for us. So cheer for each other. Look for grace sightings. Accusing each other, by the way, is the devil's work. That's what he does. We don't do that of each other. We don't slam the body of Christ. We don't slam Jesus' bride. We love Jesus' bride. That's what the pagans do. Uh, You know, we need to be saying to each other, I love what God is doing in your life. Try that. Try that with God's people. Just find something. You know, I love what God is doing in your life. That'll be a whole different orientation of how you live. Thirdly, we fear God. Don't be afraid of him, but fear him. Those people who are afraid of him are running away from him and not doing what he's commanded. Those who fear God, who truly fear God, believe that doing what God says is best. So fear God. And fourth, honor the king. Same word, respect, that's used of people. Same word here. So the king does not get the same level as your king and my king, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't fear reverently the government. We fear only God. But we respect every level of government. We honor the king. We respect our prime minister. We respect the president south of the border. We respect who God has put in office. We don't, as believers, put out there disparaging comments, demeaning comments. And this means the king, prime minister, teacher, police, officers. Listen, I'm, I'm, we have some, some choice people in our congregation who look after our lives, who go rushing out and put their lives on the line every single day. I am not one of these people. And the Bible certainly does not endorse or condone the idea that we should be disrespecting our police. I'm sorry, but that's just, that's absolutely a wrong direction. It's not a Christian direction. These are people who put their lives on the line for you and me every day. I went to sleep last night fully aware, of course, that God is watching over me, but also that there's an orderly structure within our city of people who are staying up all night watching over us. This is what it means, beloved, to honor every level of government that's put in place. And I need to wind it up, so I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to, we're going to, the, the point of the next section, of course, is just that that expect the fact that mistreatment will happen to you, but it is not a license to disregard God's structures. It is not. So, you take the application from this. There are, there are bad pastors out there. There are evil, wicked pastors. Does that mean that we should throw out the whole concept of church from now on? Of course it doesn't. So let's understand what God teaches us here. We're not free to break the speed limit because we don't like it. We're not free to disregard annoying bylaws because we don't like them. And by the way, if you set up as adults that kind of authority, uh, authority disrespect in your life, your children will not respect your authority. We are training our children on our own authority. If you, if you disrespect 
authority you disrespect teachers, your children will disrespect you. If you disrespect authority, your children will dis- go to school and disrespect their teachers. And worse than all of that, because God is authority, your children will disrespect God. We are showing our children God's proper order and structure here in the scriptures. And the credibility to your claim and my claim to serve an orderly God is always on trial, always on trial. God is always on trial and we are his witnesses that he is good and right and just and merciful. Christians should be the best of citizens for the Lord's sake. Father, I pray this morning and thank you for your incredible patience with us and the fact that you cheer for every evidence of grace in our lives, every evidence of the application of the grace that you give us. So I pray for us that Calvary Baptist Church be the best citizens in Oshawa for the Lord's sake, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you to our online audience. We love you so much. We're so glad you're here with us today. And uh, don't forget, um, we didn't take up an offering today, but um, God's work continues to move forward. So we're trusting that you will continue to, through God's generous heart, give to the uh, work of God here at uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa, as well as around the world. So have a great day. God bless you. See you back here next week. Stay tuned. We'll have new information for you, I'm sure. God bless.